Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. That is awesome. But today is a new series that we're starting, probably the, the world's shortest title, <laughs> If. And some of you are kind of going, if what? Well, that's what we're going to get into here. But I came across this title at the beginning of a year. Actually, my daughter and I read a book. She read it, and then she gave it to me to book by Mark Batterson. You can pick up the book. It's a great book. It sparked me to do a series on if, and you're going to hear some thoughts from it, but we're going to really look at God's word. We're going to look in and what is the power of if? Because if is a powerful word. That one little two letter word is pretty powerful. You think of what you have accomplished in your life, or let's just say in human history. You think of Nobel Peace Prizes, you think of Oscars, you think of like man landing on the moon, you think of that little device you're holding a cell phone in your hand. It started with an if. Everything started with an if. If it could be possible. Is it possible? If what if this could truly, truly take place? And so we see that as they're almost ifs are kind of the hinges of history, but they're also in, in biblical history. When you think about it, you think about like Moses. What if Moses didn't listen to the burning bush that was speaking to him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go? And they did. What if that didn't take place and, and Moses didn't go? What if Esther in scripture, who was found favor with the Lord because if she didn't fast and she didn't pray, what if she didn't do any of that? She wouldn't have become queen and and there wouldn't have been the freedom that her people, the Jewish people were threatened with genocide. What if that didn't happen? What if Joseph and Mary didn't listen to the the angel who who told them to flee uh, Bethlehem, flee Israel and to go to Egypt because Herod's out to kill all the newborn uh, boy babies? What would happen? Think about it. What if? See, I can think about my own life. I can think about times where if I didn't stay in my seat as others went out and played free time at that lakeside Bible camp, and then I stayed, and what if I didn't pray with that, that counselor to receive Christ? What if? What if I didn't take that phone number that my doormate had to go call that church to come and work for the first time on a church staff? What if? What if? What if my wife-to-be, no wife-to-be, Christy, didn't chose, choose the, the same internship of the church that I did? What if, right? What if our family didn't darken the door on Labor Day 2007 of a church called Christ the King Community Church? What if? I bet you have some what ifs. You can look back in your life. You could look, what if this didn't happen? What if this happened? And, 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 you know, some of those what ifs kind of like, if we only have what if, we're going we're gonna to spend some time next week talking about the if onlys. But I want you to think about the future. What are your future what ifs? What is that? And you're thinking, well, I don't know. What, what would be the what if? Had, but think about this. What wakes you up early in the morning? What keeps you awake at night? What makes, a, what puts a smile on your face? What, what sheds a tear? Those tears are connected to the what if that God would use my life. See, we're wired with the what if. And so the question is, what is your what if? And asking that question of what if, it, it has a, it requires something. It requires risk. 
What if is a risk and what are we, what are we risking? We are risking failure, aren't we? Let's just be honest. What we're risking when we take the, go to the what if is not working out. What if I blow it? What if it doesn't, what if it doesn't come together and all that we did and all that happened? See, there's a tension in the what if. It's either filled with faith or it's filled with fear. I think it's interesting as I observe the Instagram world we live in, and they've, they've studied this and looked at younger people that are on Instagram, and you could pick any other social media platform, but Instagram is one of those things that maybe we're trying to get the, the right image of themselves, the selfie, right? But it's done, the filters and everything, and all that you're trying to do is keep this image and what they found is, is we're trying to keep this image, the, the risk of failure is really, really high because I got to keep what I'm doing. I got to keep my streaks going of who I am and what I look like and what I do. And what's finding is interesting more and more in our culture, we're not taking as many risks as we used to take. And yet God has wired us in the what if. God is the God of what if. He's wired us. He's hardwired us this way. And if we don't take advantage of the what if, you know what we start saying? Wow, if only. If only. They did a study several years ago with some elderly people, and they asked them, I think they're in their 90s, they asked these folks, what are your regrets in life? And this is interesting. There's two statistics that came with it. What is your regret, or not what, but, how, you know, well, it, what do you regret in life? And this is what they found overall, that 86% surveyed regretted what they didn't do and they should have done. 86% of these elderly people said, if I would have, should have, could have, I should, you know, I, I, I could have done that. I didn't do it. 16% then, is that right? 16 and 85? No, it should be. Yeah, I think that's not good math, is it? Uh, it's a hundred and something. So, Sorry about the stats. Uh, don't, don't believe all your stats. But the reality is a majority, 80-something 80, 80 percent, and then about 16 percent said that what they did do, they shouldn't have done. Vast majority, vast majority of people would say, man, I, if I could have done it all over again, I, I should have took advantage of that opportunity. Kids, can I, can I give you some advice, youth as well and young adults? Two words, compound interest. Talk to me afterwards about, I wish I would have took advantage of compound interest. The problem was when we were younger, we didn't have any money. And so it was hard to invest in. But you invest in early. Invest in your life. What God can do is so amazing. So potential. But us older, we still have an opportunity. We're still breathing. We're still vertical. And there's still an opportunity for us to take advantage of the what if. I just say, God lives in the what ifs. There's 1,784 ifs in the Bible. Now, all of them are kind of like connected words together, and we get it's a little word. But many of those are promises. They're, they're actually the front end of God's promises. All through the Bible where people met conditions, those conditions of what God gave them, God would deliver on those promises. What this means for us in the what if is this, that your current circumstances can lead to God's potential in the if. Your current circumstances can potentially have what God has for you if you live in the what if. And if we don't take advantage of the what if, we live in the if only regrets in life. And next week, you don't miss next week actually, because we set up all that we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about the if onlys. But before do we get to the, all the ifs in scripture, 
We can't get to all of them, but a few of them here in the next few weeks. I want to lay down one that I think is to start with. And you're like, where do we start with this series? I think this is so foundational. In fact, when you hear this, you're going to go, yes, that you can't get past all the, you, you got to get this one right. You got to believe this one. And, he, and it comes from one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is actually Romans chapter eight. It's one of my favorite books uh, or favorite books of the Bible, but also favorite chapters in scripture. It's filled with all the ifs of God. And how, how it's just so packed with so much. And I encourage you in the next you know, weeks we're doing this series, just do this with me. Read Romans chapter 8 each week, every week. Just read through it. Maybe read a, you know, a few verses a day or sit down. Just take a you know, few minutes. Just read the whole chapter one time. And just go with me on this as we do. And we're going to draw out some of these ifs. But instead of starting the beginning of some of these ifs, we're actually going to get toward the end. And in verse 31 of Romans 8 that I want to look at here, and as we do this, you're wondering probably what this chest is about. We're going we're gonna to act out a Bible story, kids. So in a minute here, be ready for that. But I want to set it up with this. You ready for it? Here, here's, there's a couple questions Paul, that the writer, wrote this. He says this, what then should we say in response to these things? Now, what are the, these things? Well, actually, these things, that's what we're going to talk about here in the next few weeks, few weeks that connect with the ifs. But the first if that we're going to look at, and you look at this, man, this is, man, this is, this is foundational. It's this, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's read that together. Can we read that out loud? Everybody in the room here, can you say it with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is way better than the first service. Okay, don't let people know I said that. They're like, a God is for us, who can be Okay, can you say it one more time with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hmm. If, if God is really, really for us, who could be against us? I mean, if God is, if God's for us, you know what I'm saying? If God is really for us, who, who, who could be against us? And you think about this. Do you believe that for you? Do you believe God is for you? Because I tell you, you believe that. And it's almost, you know, you read that like it's a rhetorical question. We had in the first service, the kid, it, do you believe God is for you? And one kid goes, yes. And I thought, way to go, kid. You're, you're believing it. But it's really a rhetorical question that we ask ourselves. Do you believe and the answer should be, of course. And yet in the midst of our week and all that's going on and all we're doing, the confusion and pain and everything, is God for you? I think so. I think so. It's hard in the midst of chaos and confusion and pain and abuse and all doubts come in our mind. But then we look at the beauty of nature. We look at newborn baby. We look at, we look at the moments of inspirational love. I'm going, of course, of course. Yes, God is for me. But one of the things I've recognized, and you probably would think you would agree with this, is before we can believe that God is for us, we need to believe something very, very fundamental, that God is good and that his goodness is for our life. See, in order to believe that he's for you, you have to believe that he is good. And yet the subtlety and seductive lies of Satan himself will try to fool us to say that's not the case, that God is not good. Eve was tricked in eating the forbidden fruit because she question, and the serpent questioner, did God really say? And this doubt that formed in that God does not, is not good, and guess what? He doesn't have the best for you. In fact, it's worse than that, that he's holding back his best for you. And so 
what you do is you take your choices in your own hands. And you just do what you know to do because you got to do what you got to do. And God's goodness, when we doubt it, you think about it, it's probably the root of all our problems. When doubt manifests itself in a thousand forms, what it does, it creates a thousand forms of fear. And it paralyzes us to not take a risk. And so you know what we do? This is what we do. Nothing. We don't do anything. We sit in that fear. And it's interesting is when you believe it and others come along and say, God's not good. In fact, God's out to get you. He's waiting for you to mess up. And so what, if you're wondering how religion got invented, that's how religion got invented. And people along the way use a weapon called guilt to control people. This, really this premise that God really isn't good. He's, out, he's actually against you. It's kind, of, it's kind of what they call holiness by sub subtraction. Don't do this, don't do that, and you'll be okay. How many know that you can, do, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right? And it's all rooted in our doubt of God's goodness. And what happens, we project self-contempt onto God. If God's angry with us, like we're angry with ourselves, then we're not going to do anything. Or we do the opposite. We go into performance mode. And we try to do all these things to try to appease. And then, you know, like, oh, no, I know I'm not true. I can't earn God's favor. And yet we try to do it. We get caught up in all that we do. And we just keep it going, keep it going. And yet living a righteous life has nothing to do. It's not, it's not about nothing, nothing to do with doing wrong. It has to do also is, is doing something right. It, it comes down to this. It's not just resisting temptation. It's actually going over and going after God's ordained opportunities. And yet when we let fear a failure in our, in our decisions, we do nothing. We let that fear sit there. And I tell you, in the best of days, I seize the moments. Worst of days, I, I play it way too safe. Think about this. If you and I believe in every ounce in our being that God is for me and God is for us, what does scripture say? Nothing be against us. Nothing. And we really, truly believe that. I tell you, one of the greatest stories in scripture, it's probably the, if you think, if you're going to pick the biggest Bible story in, in the Bible, this is it. Like, this is the one, like, you know, to know that God is for you, no matter what you face, it's gotta be. It comes in the life of King David. Actually, before he was King David, he was, he was a kid. And it's the story, come on, it's, it's David and Goliath, that story. And so today, I want, because if there's anybody that lived in the what if moment, was David at this moment. And I, I thought instead of telling a story, telling is kind of boring. We're going to act it out today, okay? And so I'm going to need some help to do that. Could I, I need someone who could play the part of David. Do we have an, I need an elementary school person here today. Or maybe someone... Does anybody want to volunteer? You're not quite, a, you're, you're, come on up. Okay, Caleb, come on up today. He's actually not quite elementary, but we'll take a sixth grader right here. And I have a feeling you do, you just seem like that's probably the age of David. Don't you think right there, when you, when you look at the Bible story, Caleb, come on up here. You can stand right over here, bud. And so you're going you're gonna to act this out. And so not everybody, know, you kind of know the David and Goliath story because you're going to work with me on this, okay? But so, but people, some people don't know it. Okay. So let me set it up. Okay. So David 
is, is part of a tribe of people called Israel, this nation of Israel. And yet Israel at times is God's people. There's other groups of people, uh, other, other nations and other tribes of people will come and try to give Israel a bad time. Some of it was their fault. They, they shouldn't have done what they should have done. But, but along the lines, there came this one particular group of people called the, the Philistines. And they're just bullies in, 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 in the Mediterranean. They were just mean, mean people. And there was a guy, though, that was the meanest of meanest. I mean, this guy was a mammoth. This guy was mean, like the junkyard dog. Like, if you're going to pick the biggest bully in the Bible, would be this guy. And it was Goliath. Not yet, not yet. Wait, you got you know the story. <laughs> We're getting there, Caleb. You pay attention in kids' place these years. That's awesome. So let me set this up a little bit more. So so David doesn't know what's going on, but basically this mammoth of a man comes out. The Bible says he's nine feet tall, okay? Huge, okay? Comes out mean, ornery. I mean, he was a basic jerk, okay? And a lot of it had to do with he didn't get his coffee many days. And so that had a lot to do with that. And so he comes out and he represents Philistines. And he basically threatens them and says, listen, you sent out one of your best guys. And he's going to challenge me. And if he beats me, we are your slaves. But if we beat you, we are going to take control of you. Okay, and so he's coming out and he's just saying nasty stuff. He's he's defiling them by by like, you know, just mad at them. He's angry with them. He's he's cursing. We don't want to hear that, though. But he was doing all these things, saying like your Lord and your God is a wimp and all this. Right. So David comes on the scene and everybody nobody wants to fight Goliath. I mean, they're, they're shaking your boots. Have you shaking, shaking your legs like this? Can you shake your legs? Okay, good. And then everybody's freaking out. And, and then David comes along and goes, what's going on, guys? And he goes, well, this guy, we're like, what's he, how could he say all that stuff? Why is he saying that to us? Well, he's out to fight us and nobody wants to fight him. And David, within, this is his what if moment. He goes, I'm going to fight him. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take him on. Well, that's not going to work too well because you're a little kid, David. There's no way you could fight. And everybody laughs. I mean, no, I'm going to do that. And they're like, well, it's your funeral, buddy. And so he goes to King Saul and he says, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight Goliath. And so Saul goes, okay, well, I can give you some, some help. I'm going to give you some armor. So stay right there. We're going to give you some armor to put on. Put this on here. Advertised in the winter coat drive as well. Okay, David, how does that feel? Does it fit like a glove? Is it perfect, huh? It's too big. It's too big. It's kind of cumbersome. It's like, how are you going to fight? I mean, you can't really, it's not you. That doesn't look like you at all. It's way too, and that was really what's happening with Saul. He put on this army. I mean, it was made for a man. It was made for the king. It wasn't going to fit. It's not going to work. And so take that stuff off. Take that off. David needs something a little bit more powerful. 
And that was what he had already. See, what David had was, and he was used to, and we don't have a, we don't have a slingshot, but we're going to give you this bag here. And what he gave is he found some rocks. And since he's really good with slingshots, we'll use these, these are rocks, found five smooth stones. You can hold that open. Five smooth stones to, to fight with. Well, he gets face-to-face with Goliath, going face-to-face, okay? And David's, and, 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 and Goliath is going, bring it on, buddy. And he pulls out his huge javelin. Like, it's massive, okay? And he's ready to fight him. And they're staring down everybody. And these are the words. Listen to the words of the what-if moment that, that David, you say. It's this, and I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. David steps into, out of the crowd, out of the fear, out of the paralysis of everybody that's gathered, and says, I am going to take you on. And at that moment, and all the fear and all the intimidation that comes, he reaches in his bag and puts in his sling a stone and he throws it at Goliath. <laughs> and to make sure we keep it PG in the story, he reaches for his sword. Go ahead and grab that sword. And he whacks him as hard as he can. Harder. Harder. There it is. Come on. All right. And David and Israel are in victory and they overcome the Philistines. Let's give these guys a hand. Great job, guys. Caleb, you can go find uh, Josh, our new kids director, and he's probably got a big prize for you. He doesn't know that, but you're going to get something from him. So that's great. Great, great. great job, guys. I want to just think about this story a little bit. David embodied the what ifs. The what if moment. He took advantage of that. Pretty amazing. I love that story. He stepped in. He just, you know, if God is, he had the confidence. If God is for me, who can be against me? I think the classic story reminds of this in our lives that maybe we're not faced with some Literally some mean people that are intimidating us. Maybe you are because you go to work. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's someone in your life physically. But I would say that you probably some bigger giants like I do. So some, some bigger giants that we face. Giant issues. Giant addictions. Giant obstacles. Yes, there might be giant jerks out there and bullies out there. There's also giant judgmental, judgmental people that you face. And yes, we know the number one enemy is the devil himself who tries to come and intimidate us and to put us down and to put in fear and put us in a place that we become compliant, that we are filled with apathy rather than step into our what-if moments. But I tell you this, is, and I think all of us can face that the biggest enemy on a practical level besides Satan himself, the biggest enemy is the one we look into the mirror. 
Our biggest enemy is the intimidation of fear that we face and what we, what we go through in our life. And when it comes to that crux of that moment, do we believe that God is for me? Do I believe that God is for me? If I truly believe that God is for me, who can be against me? Bills, joblessness, health issues, marital issues, struggle with my kids, battle over battle over what to do next and the contemplation of life, all that goes on in our life, to step out and say, Lord, I want to step out and, and out of the fearful crowd into the what if moment, knowing, believing that you truly are for me. So here's the question for you. This last what if is, or this first what if is, what if God, blank, blank, blank. What is it? What is it? What is the What if God for you today? What might that be? And for some of us, it might not be the problem of giant. It might be an opportunity that you have to step in to something in the great unknown. Michaela, this models for us to just to step, step in the great unknown. And Lord provided her a miraculously today in so many ways, even already. And there's more that you're going to do to step in it. What is your moment? You might not say, I can't go across the world, but what about this week for you? And as we look at this, I wanted to give you some thoughts and preparing. Kids, you can write some notes in. Adults, you can do the same. Is this. You know this, and, this, and I love the story how David lived this out, is this, that God is for you is in how he uniquely created you. As you step into the what if God moment, what if God this and like, you know, you're uniquely created. I don't know if this is a compliment. You know, everybody said this to you. Hey, when God created you, he broke the mold. You're like, is that a compliment? I don't know. But it really is. You, you are uniquely you. You're your unique DNA and how your makeup. And it's the same as in, in your lives in practical ways. None of us are supposed to be clones of one another. David put on Saul's armor. It didn't fit. It wasn't just because of his age. It was custom for one other person. And David, that's not what it was for. He found freedom in this. This is not going to be working. We, you and I need to find freedom in, in, in the fact that, listen, there's other people doing it their way, but that's not the way. That, it doesn't fit you. Find what fits you. Be uniquely you. And I hope we can redeem the word diversity in our world, that we are diverse people and all of us come together and unified together in the body of Christ. Each one of us are so, so important. God wants to use our lives. The other thing is this, is that God is for you. He will give what you need when you need it. God will give you what you need when you need it. I don't know about you, but as much as I believe in abundance, God, God seems to kind of get me by to the next, to the next, to the next. Give us this day our daily bread. And he does it daily at times. We don't know the day after, but we know, you know, the next day, but we know today. And we count on today and what God's provided. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't go to school and prepare for the future and all that. That's all good to do. Kids, I'm all for education, finish school, really important to do. But in your education, in the moment, in your school year, what you're doing, God wants to use your life. Not till when you get the degree, oh God, you can use my life when I get this certificate and then I can go this and do this over here. No, going is today. Going and stepping into what God has for you today. David went on what he knew. David picked up what he was already trained to do, and that was he knew how to run a sling. He knew how to, he knew how to take out some bears. He knew how to take out some, 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 you know, whatever predator was attacking his sheep as a shepherd boy. He knew. He used what God has given him. You and I have something today that God wants to use. Yes, tomorrow's coming. You can do great things tomorrow, but today is that important thing to remind us of that. Call this to that moment. It's so, so important to recognize that. And then, and then finally is this. 
is to know this, that God is for you and use your life, but he will get the credit. See, what's powerful to know is that there's no way in a human level that one little rock, and sometimes you look at the story of David and thinking, well, he was pretty, he was a, he was a dead aim, hit, right, hit, hit Goliath right where he needed it. How many know that that, that little rock had, had some d- divine direction, okay? There was a little heaven's GPS that was connected to hit him right at the right moment. And whether that rock really had that impact, all we know is that David stepped into his what-if moment. And, and took Goliath down, but it was the Lord who did that. Listen to how, again, to what David says about this. It says this, I will strike you down, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into my hands. You hear that? The battle is the Lord's. It's not David's battle. And it's for you and I to step into the realizing whatever you're going through or you're facing is not only that God is for you, but God is with you. And he will equip you and give you everything that you need at the moment. And what he's giving you is heaven's weapons. I love what 2 Corinthians tells us this. We are human. But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down, love that, knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. What are the false arguments of human reasoning? You're you're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You don't have enough talent. You're not going to make, you know. No, no, no. That's hogwash. God is for you. And the truth to know that God is for you Nothing can come against you. And he's given us this amazing weapon called prayer. This prayer that we have is a weapon to fight the, the enemy, to fight anything comes against us, and to fight with God's word, the truth that we have. We have weapons, the sword of the spirit, to fight the battle for us. And at the end of the day, the most powerful thing to know is that we don't get the credit in it. God did it all. And if you were wondering what God has been up to lately, just look around the room. You want to get into understanding what, what God is really doing, just start talking to the people around here. And they're going, oh, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Talk to Michaela today, what God's done in her life. She knows it and she feels it and she understands it. And some of you can tell the same story. Look around the room, people that overcame the giants of depression and addiction and spiritual blindness and fear and pride. And how about this one? Religiosity. People overcame those things to come to the place and realizing God is for me and nothing has come against me. And there's more to come. God is just warming up to what he's going to do. See, what if we launched a new campus this next month, which we're doing? What if we build a place where people can connect with the heart of of Birch Bay right here, which we're working on? What if people gathered here on Wednesday nights for recovery and needing, needing help? Guess what? That's happening. What if people stepped out of the rows of, of, of comfort here and got in some interesting circles of people called small groups? Like, would we do that? What if people said, instead of just being in a group that they're willing to host and, and lead a group, stepping in, what if that would happen? What if some of us said, you know what, we want to serve people in our community with food and friendship at the community meals and just sign up in the back for that? What if we decided when we go home or this week, when we go to the store or Fred Meyer or Walmart, or we clicked on Amazon Prime and ordering stuff for ourselves, we click for a winter coat for a kid there. I'm just saying on the practical level, what if? What could happen? Well, if we know that God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is 
Nobody. Nobody. If God is for us and God is in all that we're doing, nothing can come against us. But as our team comes, as we close here today, I'm going to ask, I think it's an honest question to really challenge yourself here. And I think it's a good question. Just, let's just get under it. Let's be practical. Because as much as you real, recognize the reality of this, you and I have to kind of like, you know, that's a great Bible story. It's a great, it's a great it's, it sounds like a great pep talk. And we're going to miss the moment and miss the opportunity. This is so true. God is for us. See, the reality is it really did happen. See, this, uh, there was a real valley where it took place. This rock actually it could be similar to the rock that David picked up, uh, a type of rock. It came from the exact same geographic location, the Valley of Eli in Israel, this, this exact rock. See, it's a reality. Is It happened. Let me ask, what's the potential that you hold in your hands that God has given you? Whatever that is, it's connected with that God is for you and what he wants to accomplish in your life but how do I know that God is with me? I think that's an important question as we close today. How do we really know that? Because what we struggle with is this. If, if really God is for me, how come I have the problems and issues that I, I'm going through? Why is there the pain? Why is there the difficulties? How do I really know God is for me? I mean, really, sometimes it comes down as, what has God done for me lately? Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to answer how that it is, but I can tell you this, that, that God has already done it for you. God had, what has God done for me lately? He's done everything for you. He's provided everything for you. It's called the cross. It's the cross of Christ that Jesus did it all for you, all because of the love of a father who is not out to get us or against us, but is for us. Out of his great love, why? Because he's good and he is loving. And I love this formula, just to remember this week. If you remember anything this week, it's so important that God is love and that God is good and that he's good all the time and God is for me. He loves you. He has his goodness and who he is and he's for us to believe that with all our heart. He provided everything you need. The cross provided the forgiveness that God's no longer against us. Our sin is, we're no longer held accountable to it because of the cross and the forgiveness of Jesus. Now God, as we receive Christ, he is for you and for me. And guess what? If God is for you, what? Nothing. Who, nobody can be against you. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for this opportunity today that we gather like this. This is a unique Sunday, Lord bringing our kids upstairs and, and reliving some, some great moments. Lord, we think of the moment, David, and we think about all that you accomplished because you did the work, you did the battle. But Lord, you've given us this incredible choice to step into it. And Lord, there's a majority of people in this world that stay in the fearful crowd that don't step into the what if. And God, I just sense that today, Lord, you're preparing us and have prepared people already. We think of Michaela who, God, you're already been speaking to her. She's going to step in her what if this week, but we don't have to go too far away to step into ours. What if, Lord, God, you would do what you're going to do this week in our lives, that we step out of fear and step into faith. God, what if to know that you're for us? Who, who could be against us? 
nothing or no one. And we can know that and have the confidence of your great love and because of your goodness in our life and you proved it on the cross for us. And Lord, if there's some here today that are, are faced with doubt, the doubt that, God, you're good because of what they've gone through and what they've faced. And there's no excuses for what has happened to them or what's been done to them. But, Lord, you're still good and that you are still loving and that you have a plan and you have a purpose and you want to take the, the if-onlys and change them in these what-ifs from regrets to this potential. And, Lord, we pray that this would just be the beginning as we go into this week. The Lord, from Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, each day that we would wake up, we go, man, if God is for me, who can be against me? And that, God, we would walk in that confidence that comes from you, not on our own strength, not our own weapons, but all that you've given us that we can win And knowing, Lord, they're your battles that we face. They're your opportunities that you, you give us. And we step in and out of the crowd of fear into the what if of the unknown with courage and strength by your spirit. God, what could really truly take place? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be glorious as we do. What if, Lord, in you, God, Lord, knowing your force, nothing, Lord, can be against us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.